Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, a strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we'll recap and recount our tales of woes and wonder as we iterated on some projects from episodes past. After that, we'll take a deep dive into Legacy to learn about what makes the format tick. We'll discuss some of the archetypal pillars of the format, important cards, and start to figure out how we might brew in this wild and crazy format. Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. This is Seriousness. Welcome to episode 10 of the Serum Visions podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me is a man who can be seen waving from a window in the Legends printing of The Tabernacle at Pendrel Vale, Zach Ryle. How are you, Zach? I'm just out here uh, visiting visiting the monks of uh, the Tabernacle or whoever it is that lives here, you know, um, helping them create a uh, upkeep trigger. One generic mana, or the creature is destroyed, which is uh, different than the Magus of the Tabernacle, which we all know and love from uh, modern legal uh, decks such as uh, Ice Nine, Boros Ponza. So uh, you can get yourself in trouble trying to kill a Merit Lage with uh, with a Tabernacle. Also joining us is a man who once worked the front desk of the Sylvan Library, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? I'm doing really well, actually. I'm pretty tired this morning. Uh, my fiance and I, and with some friends, we went to a local snow park to do some cross-country skiing. Chosen easy course. Everything looked like it was going to be gravy, but it was super icy. I guess you know you show up early and like the sun hasn't come out to melt everything and everything froze overnight. So it was a huge struggle to just like be on cross-country skis and to go over just that icy terrain. We also had a dog, uh, which was also we love our dog. But he was having some trouble too but it went really well we managed to make it uh dog went off leash went crazy uh you know just a lot of fun but now i'm just like really really tired uh so yeah but overall you know it's good to be tired i think yeah you gotta be feeling that in your quads oh yeah like it's very subtle because it's you know it's just kind of like walking in snow so it's not like i'm totally dead but it's just like minor fatigue kind of everywhere which is honestly like the best kind of exhaustion. Yeah, when I when I was young, uh, I was like ten or eleven or twelve or something like Perfect. that. We went uh, skiing for the first time ever, and I, I'd never done like you know downhill skiing, and uh, I ended up being pretty pretty good at it right right from the first day. But we went for like three four hours um, on on that first day, and I had no idea what I was in for. And the next day, I was just so sore uh, that I just could not stand. Um, I'll never forget it. So. Uh, that's my my introduction to that feeling. Yep, yep. So real talk though, real talk. Was the dog wearing booties? Oh yeah, he got so many compliments and comments on the booty. It was, I mean, well, a he's super cute, but then and he was wearing a jacket and the booties, so he looked like like he was ready to go out there. But I think definitely, you know, my favorite thing was, uh. The first part was essentially all uphill, which is also another reason why it was super, super difficult because it was just a very slight gradual incline, which made it especially brutal with it being so slippery. But once we made it to the top, then we got to go back down and when, you know, it was kind of like, almost like downhill skiing on cross-country skis. 
So again, to go down, and then towards the end, this path, the trail was just very busy at the beginning, and then it uh, just cleared out at the end. So getting back to the beginning, uh, I had to put fish, I had to put our dog Fig back on a leash, and then, but I still got to like go downhill skiing with Fig just like running beside me in his booties, and like got a whole bunch of people staring and just like making comments. So that was pretty sweet. He's a good boy. Awesome, awesome. Dogs and boots, adorable. Love it. Oh yeah, dogs and boots and jacket when they like kind of clop around and they're <laughs> unfamiliar with and instead of walking up and down they do this little angle thing. It's pretty. It's like the cutest thing ever. So did you did you go and and put in the time and uh, acclimate your dog to the booties? Yes. Then yes, the night before we did a bunch of boot exercises <laughs> and he got a bunch of treaties. So I've seen some wonderfully uh, goofy videos of dogs trying to wear booties for the first time and just not knowing how to handle themselves. Uh, I mean, he he was fine with it. It's just you know. It's it's like wearing different kind of shoes, like it takes you a little bit. But we did it the day before and, you know, he loves it and now he's just kind of sleeping because he's very tired. So, all in all, a good day, but, you know, I will, I might be slightly lower energy, but I've got, you know, I think I can do it. All right, all right. So, before we dive into everything this week, we're just going to note at the top here that we will be starting a journey into Legacy. I think all three of us have played Legacy in varying amounts, but it isn't a format that we normally pay much attention to, nor do we brew in. Um, but this is uh, going to be a little bit of a trial balloon. If you, dear listeners, don't have any interest in the format, let us know. Uh, but I will say, even if you're not a legacy player, there should hopefully be plenty of things to learn from our experiences. Um, I don't think we have any long-term plans to stop playing or brewing in modern, but it's always fun to shake things up a little bit, uh, especially at the quote-unquote end of a format, right? You know, we're uh, right on the cusp of the Kaldheim release, and... Um, you know, things start to feel stale about the third month in. Uh, we'll have an influx of new cards to play with. I know that we're all excited about various cards that are uh, going to be releasing. So I am sure we will be right back to modern in short order. But um, taking a dive into Legacy seems like a, a fun little stop over in the meanwhile. Uh, with that out of the way, um, we are actually going to deviate even further from your normal listening uh, pleasures to take a, a brief moment for Arun to talk a little bit about the COVID vaccine. Um, Arun, I know you got your first um, dose here uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, why don't you uh, let us let us know? How was it? How was it? Did it taste yeah. good? Uh, Microchip, you know? Yeah, I'll... So, like, like Brian kind of mentioned, I was fortunate enough to actually get my, the first dose of the COVID vaccine. Uh, I got the Pfizer, the version from Pfizer. This happened to me on January 8th uh, through my employer. Uh, and due to most, how most governments, especially the USA, have botched the COVID response, I, I'm kind of in the camp that the vaccine is kind of the only hope we have to returning to normalcy, uh, which for, I know a lot of us, I think something super important will be and restarting the gathering part of magic. So you you work in a hospital, so you must be uh, someone who you know you getting the vaccine so early. You must be someone who get who who deals with patients face to face on a daily basis, and that that's why you're getting the uh, you, that's why you're getting the vaccine yeah, so early. Yeah, so right? I'm actually not. I'm a researcher at a hospital. I'm not an essential worker, although I actually am classified as one, so I can keep doing my research. Uh, but I mean, this is honestly, I feel you know my fiance is a teacher, and she doesn't have the vaccine yet, which is. It's pretty fucked up, honestly. Uh, but so the real like so then 
you, it's good to ask the question, how come I get it before like all actually essential workers? And to make the long story short, you know, the whole goal of the US government is to vaccinate everybody in the US, which is 340 plus million people. That's a lot of people. The Trump administration chose not to assist in generating a federal plan to vaccinate the USA population and instead decided to let each of its each state do it individually uh, with very poor coordination. Uh, to kind of top things off to this great planning by our government, state governments are already underfunded messes due to how COVID just has hit each state individually. They do not have the people nor the money or the funds to make like a good proper statewide vaccination plan and to carry it off smoothly and effortlessly. Uh, so because of how this is all kind of playing out, many states are buying up as much vaccine as possible. You know, whenever they see the vaccine, they buy it because there's just vaccine insecurity. They don't know when exactly they'll be getting it. They don't know how much the next time it's available, they'll be able to get. Uh, so, you know, like if you want to, you're not sure what you're going to do, but you know, you're not, you need vaccine to vaccinate people. Uh, so as the states just keep buying it up and buying it up and then, you know, like being just not having the greatest plans because their rollout plans were created by less people with that who didn't have as much money, you know, it's not going so smoothly. And also some people just choose not to take the vaccine. And now you have excess vaccine that requires cold storage and has a relatively short shelf life. Uh, so when that's the case, and Oregon's not the only state doing this, but just, you know, like if the hospital or place has extra vaccine, it is much better to just give it to literally anybody uh, who needs it as opposed to going through, you know, just like the most important uh, classes of people first. So kind of with all that, there's also the one more smaller thing is that uh, this, you know, like, oh, wait, my ho the hospital I work at, OHSU, uh, Oregon Health and Sciences University, like this gives them the ability to, they're going to be probably the main vaccine giver in Oregon. And this gives them an ability to like develop and to really test their process for giving it to the public. But they get to test it on uh, us as co-workers that are very, uh, I just like it's very compliant, you know, like we're very easy to deal with. We all are happy to get the vaccine. We'll just go and get out and it helps them to really get it. Right. And you're like experienced and, and trained and you can give them like really good feedback in the sort of way that uh, that they that would be most beneficial for them. Right. Yeah, I, I feel confident in speaking about the vaccine, you know, my experience with it and also just like how it works, which is kind of what I want to get to. The second part is I hear I actually hear a lot of people and even, you know, like people in my lab, like people I work with who they're still going to get the vaccine and tell me like, I'm going to get the vaccine. But, you know, they tell me that I'm a little worried that this vaccine was developed pretty quickly relative to other vaccines, uh, which is, you know, 100 it's very valid. And the other thing is, you know, long term effects. There's no long term effect studies, which is absolutely true. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of lump those in with also that this vex this recent round of vaccines is pretty unique in that they're mRNA vaccines rather than being uh, the virus, uh, just like the other vaccines, which normally include uh, deactivated or weakened virus. So mRNA uh, is the intermediate step between DNA and proteins. So it's essentially what you have your DNA, which has, you know, all your genes and encoded as proteins. And before they can become physical 3D shapes uh, and structures that pro of proteins, they take this intermediate form of mRNA that then gets converted. And so what this is, is the vaccine is the an mRNA uh, there's an mRNA molecule that's coated in a special coating so that your cells intake it. And when the vaccine is injected at the site of injection, the immune cells will preferentially take up the mRNA 
and it comes into the cell and now the coating is gone so you have free floating strands of mRNA and the body cells in general just have a whole bunch of mRNA floating around like that's what kind of happens is your genome your chromosomes are out there your genomes out there uh, any open spots machinery comes in it can make some RNA which floats around until uh, more machinery grabs it and turns it into a protein so now you have essentially it's foreign mRNA floating around in your cell uh, but you can't really tell it's foreign because it's mRNA and then it gets scooped up by one of the protein machinery that converts into a protein and it winds up coding a protein that's part of the COVID spike protein, which is just a, a unique part of the protein that COVID that the COVID-19 virus uses. And so what happens is now you have this uh, virus particle floating around in the cell, which is then found by uh, the other machinery and realize, oh, this is, you know, this is not mRNA, this is a protein now. Even though we made this protein, this protein is still foreign. And so they develop, so then your body will be able to develop antibodies for that. And then, uh, you know, kind of sensitize yourself. And then when you get it again, uh, like if you wind up, you know, getting exposed to COVID, now you have antibodies for a small part of the cone protein. But once again, that's enough to kind of give you in the immune, the immune, enough immunity to like survive and to not get sick with COVID. So they're, these mRNA vaccines are very new, uh, but they're probably going to be the future vaccines. They're actually much safer than other vaccines because unlike the flu shot, you're not getting weakened flu. You're not getting deactivated flu. You're not getting like flu cell parts. You just get a little, essentially a blueprint to, part of the, to a unique part of the virus that your body then turns the blueprint into the part of the virus, sees that it's part of a virus, and then develops what it needs, the antibodies to prevent the virus to if the virus disappears again, that you'll be able to fight it. So the mRNA, I think, is actually a really good step, especially for these vaccines. Uh, the fast development, this is, uh, you know, some. I think this is a very valid concern. If you're concerned that, you know, vaccines take a while, this one was developed really quickly, like it's a valid concern. And the main reasons for the fast development were A, amazing funding. Like if, just follow the money. Like if you want, if you want to know what gets, if you want to know where progress is made, just look to where the most money is being put into it. Uh, the other thing is that we actually have developed previous uh, vac vaccines for other coronavirus strains that have popped up in the past. I think not the U.S., but other countries have. And because this coronavirus was similar enough, we were able to use a lot of that technology and use a lot of the setup that had already existed. So, you know, we pump money into this and we already have a pretty good idea of how to do this with something that looks very similar. You combine those two things and, you know, you can get a vaccine pretty quickly. Well, yeah, Brian? I, I think it's also important to point out, I know that a big part of this is, is how that money was applied, and that was parallelization. So they started producing things before they knew whether they would succeed mm. and threw away anything that didn't work. And so that's how that money got turned into a fa fast vaccine. Because normally what would happen is they wouldn't bother producing things until they knew that it worked because they don't want to waste the money. Well, when the, the money is free flowing from the government or whatnot, they get to go nuts. They start producing things well ahead of schedule. And that way, if it works out, you already have you know the first doses starting to, to come off the assembly line. And so... Um, you know, they basically got to, to skip the slow part of like, well, did it work? Okay, now we're going to ramp up production. We're going to, you know, uh, do all the things we needed to do to our, our production facilities. And so it wasn't that they were cutting corners at all. And I think that's uh, an important part to note. Yeah, I just want to second real quick. That, that's a really good point, Brian. I, I missed that, but well, very well explained. Very important.
Yeah, we, I mean, we, we do have a lot of people out there being concerned about side effects, being concerned about the way that these things were, were put together, and uh, but just not, even someone who has a mild case of the actual virus, we don't know what the long-term side effects of that are. So, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> we're, we're not going to get anywhere by just not dealing with it and, you know, letting it burn through is, is uh, not really tenable. And uh, we want to be as prepared as we can be for any, uh, you know, other strains, other fallout, etc. that could come along. Yes, and I'll kind of get to that in a little bit. But I want to, you know, I think also great to talk, uh, worthy, worth covering too are the side effects because there are side effects uh, from this. It's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, these, this vaccine comes in two doses. You get... For the Pfizer, the first, the second dose comes three weeks after the first dose, and for the Moderna, it's four weeks after the first dose. And there's no, well, there's there's aren't any reported side effects after the first dose, but after the second dose, uh, there's actually pretty widely reported side effects. They're relatively small, you know, like aches, rashes, uh, tired, like some sl some slight swelling. Uh, I've talked to a couple people who actually gotten the second um, uh, the second dose of it. And you know, a lot of people just comment like they feel like not great and they feel a little sick, a little out of it for a day. Uh, and it's, you know, honestly, I actually tried to look online why you feel these side effects and I couldn't find it. Uh, you know, it's not like you're injecting the live virus or anything into it, but so you still get side effects, but they're not side effects that are in any way genetic. And it's not from, uh, you know, you don't get COVID, you don't get the coronavirus from having this vaccine into you. So it's nothing related like on that, on that axis. Well, uh, but yeah, like they're, they're minor, unfortunately, there are small side effects, and it's probably, like, it is good to know that, like, you will have side effects when you get the second dose, uh, uh, most am, likely. Am I, am I, I'm, I'm correct in saying that uh, aches, rashes, um, tiredness, and slight swelling are all just side effects of the immune response, right? And so, yeah, you, you said this produces so. uh, little pieces of the protein that your body sees and causes an immune response. Seems pretty normal. Yeah, I mean, I was, like, I totally, like, I think your explanation you just mentioned, that's very likely the correct one, Brian. I just couldn't find anything online to confirm that, like, solidly. And so, you know, like, I'm not going to say that this is how it is. I'm going to say this is what it seems like. But, you know, like, don't take me 100%, which is, once again, that's, that's what science teaches you. You never say 100% of the time. Yeah, Ever. well, I, I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll put on my parent hat here for a moment. And I'll say as the, uh, the father of an almost two-year-old, um, I have watched my son have fevers rashes swelling i'm sure aches he couldn't express that to me but i you know uh based on his crying could guess that he was achy um and any time that he had any sort of symptom like that you know the uh, the answer from the nurse on the phone or the doctor was it's probably a viral infection give it a couple days see if it goes away and so uh you know uh i i think that like like you said these are very minor minor things right like if we can dismiss them in a in a three-month-old a six-month-old you know a child under two then i think that we can handle them as adults mm -hmm. then you're gonna have to ride it out when you uh get the the vaccine to your little one you know i mean i don't think his child is old enough they haven't tested it above eight, under 18 it would probably be okay but it would it would actually be irresponsible parenting to give your child the covid vaccine oh well, <laughs> whoops these are things that I did not know. 
the other kind of thing I hear once again, like from my lab mates who tell me they're going to get the vaccine still is that like they're unsure about the long-term effects. And honestly, once again, this is a very valid concern. Uh, we don't know the long-term effects because, you know, we don't have time. We don't have 10 years to like wait and see, okay, how does everyone feel 10 years down the road? Okay, everybody good. Okay, let's vaccinate now. Like sadly, that is not quite how it works. Uh, so we don't know what the actual long-term effects are. Uh, the two things I can kind of say to that is that anytime any new medication comes on the market, we do not know, you do not ever know the long-term effects. Long-term effects are part of the phase four of clinical trials where phase three is after it gets rolled out to the public. So you actually, just the way that our medical system works, there's no way to really know the long-term effects in, in the human population, especially like when, if a lot of people wind up taking it without just, you know, putting it out there and seeing what happens. Uh, so this is, you know, I mean, it is slightly unfortunate, but this is how, just how our whole system works. Uh, and the other, yeah, the, I guess that's probably just the big thing is that no, there's any time a new me medicine, any kind of time a new, any kind of medical device or anything comes out, we don't know uh, the long-term effects. And well, I mean, we've got like products coming out, uh, new products from time to time, like uh, vaping. Um, you know, is a new new technique for for smoking stuff. And people were saying, um, you know, oh, it doesn't produce any odor inside. Oh, it's the health the health uh, effects of it are nothing like smoking, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it was obviously fairly easy for them to prove in the short term that, like, they weren't poisoning people, you know. But um, it took a long time for, for the, uh, for, first of all, the technology and the research to be done on, on long-term smoking damage. So, and, and people are still vaping all over the place. Um, maybe maybe a little bit more conservatively than they were in the beginning, but like they're doing that, and that's not even medicine, right? That's not you know, it's, it's just recreation. So yeah, I mean that is really well put, and I think I'm gonna try and sum uh, like sum this up with you know kind of how my my personal feelings on this. Like you know like I'm not these aren't even. I mean I will make suggestions, but you know these are just this is how I feel personally. And like, you can, like, you can take the leave it. You can trust me. You cannot trust me. Uh, but you know, regardless, like after, you know, talking all about these effects and like how the vaccine works, uh, I definitely highly, 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 highly recommend that everyone try to get vaccinated as soon as your local government allows you to. Uh, once again, I acknowledge it's super scary. Uh, there's a whole, there are some unknowns, like you just can't brush over them. But the best signs that we have, like I kind of, as Zach was alluding to, the best signs that we currently have indicates that these minor unknown risks pale in comparison to the millions, you know, possibly hundreds, like tens of millions of lives that will be saved by this vaccination campaign. Not only are you protecting yourself when you get the vaccine, but you're also protecting others, and especially the more vulnerable uh, and less fortunate populations who might be unable to get the vaccine due to just accessibility bullshit reasons. And my second dose is scheduled for January 29th. Uh, so for next, for the next podcast we record, I will have a little tournament report about my experience and, you know, like, I'll let you know about the side effects. And just to uh, make it clear to everybody, uh, I, you know, I've never called you this, but uh, I can legally call you Dr. Singh, correct? Yes, you can legally call me Dr. Singh, although it's a PhD, not an MD, although sure. Dr. Singh is my father, so I definitely, I only use doctor on airline tickets, but, which is pretty but, fun. But to, to further my point, what is, what is your PhD in? Uh, it's developmental, developmental biology. There you go. So it's not like you're you're speaking out of his butt. Is he is he a butt doctor, proctologist? 
Oh yeah, I agree. I'm a doctor. But not that kind of doctor. Alright, got it, got it, got it, got it. Well listen here, <laughs> Doctor Singh. You Thank know, you. Uh, that, it's Doctor Jiggy Wiggy to you actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh I just had to say that. All right. Well, thank you, Arun, for that rundown. Uh, I'm going to also go on board. I don't have my PhD in developmental biology, but I'm still going to urge everybody to get their vaccine. Um, just, just do it. Just do it. Welcome back. Uh, so the meta this week, actually uh, a little a little bit of meta meta. I was looking for challenge results from last weekend and we're recording this on a Sunday night. It's January 17th. Uh, normally we record on a Sunday morning. So the Sunday challenge results should be available, if not from Watsi, they're probably a little slow. but. I was unable to find last Sunday's challenge results. Uh, I was unable to find this Sunday's challenge results. Perhaps they'll be out tomorrow. I was able to find last Saturday's challenge results, and I was able to find this Saturday's challenge results. Um, so, gonna skip last week. We're already past that. This week, we got some fire here. Uh, top eight of the challenge. Number one, Dredge. Okay, welcome back, our old graveyard friend. Number two, Azorius Spirits. What? Are you... What? Is this from this weekend? Yeah, what? Number three? This is is today's challenge, right? No, this was yesterday's, according to Goldfish. Oh, gotcha. Azorius Spirits. Yeah, Azorius Spirits. Uh, Wild. number three, hammer time. Okay, not unexpected. Number four, oops, all spells. Again, not unexpected. Whoops. Five, adnaz. Six, blue black mill. Guess that's back. Seven, amulet. Okay, amulet's around. I, I believe it. Number eight. Uh, am- not not amulet mill. It was just just amulet. Uh, that was uh, uh, a newcomer to the scene, I think. F P F Palaces. It doesn't sound familiar. Oh, Fran! You and your unpronounceable I, name. Absolutely, should start streaming. Uh, the joke there for anybody who doesn't know is he is a rather prolific streamer and that he is. is an absolute master of amulet. Yeah, and Titan decks in general. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then in eighth place, we have a little scene color combination of black, red, and green, and a deck that I think is is pronounced Yund. I believe it's a soft J. Yeah, they're kicking it old school. It's just Shards of Alara. Just get those Bloodbray Elves, Cascade. Fair mid-range, man. Crazy. Yeah, so we have we have just... Good old-fashioned Jund. We got two Croxes in here. We got four of the Tarmogoyfs. We got the Seasoned Pyromancer. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, this is just wild. I mean, how is this even a thing? 
Yeah, you know? that the how's this even thing that they're doing so, with Earl Omnath kicking around? Jeez. I I couldn't tell you. I thought I mean, that uh, Jund was dead. I was led to believe it was dead. Jund is never dead. It always comes out of nowhere. Same with Mill. You know, as the second you take Kozlek out of your sideboard, you queue into Mill twice in a league. Yeah, uh, that which does not live can never die. So you know, it's, it's just uh, always on the way there back, popping out of the graveyard like daisies. Playing Cheerios, I Jund is like my arch nemesis when I played Cheerios back in the day because like Inquisition, Fatal Push, Bolt, like poor Sram, poor, poor, poor Pure Steel Paladin. But then you know, like every time I crush Jund, I feel so good. I feel so validated for all the times that Jund just stomped me. And, and to your point there, I think uh, the the popularity of a deck like Hammer Time really um, speaks to how Jund and all of these black mid range decks could be could be doing so reasonably well. Just out here, you know, being a, a fair mid range uh, fun police, you know, police and our fun. I mean, I have less fun playing against Oops than I do against Jun, so I call Oops the fun police. I I do also want to point out in 18th and 24th place we had just like run of the mill Boros Burn. Ugh. Uh, Zach's favorite deck that he never loses to. Ah, cheap shots. Come on now. I, I mean, he never loses four O's to it. Well, I mean, it's not that we had the voting for the Faithless Brewing thing this week, and I, I got uh, Eidolon and Sluspear, uh and even Lavadart banned. So I mean, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about that I have any opinions. <laughs> hey, you know, seen... you have to give it to them. In a world full of money piles and you know, gaining three life, I was told that Boros Burn is as good as dead. And these two pilots managed to pull it out. Top 32. Who, who tells you? You say Jund is dead. You say your sources tell you Boros Burn is dead. Like, who is your source that's telling you that everything is dead? I don't want to blame any 1-1 uh, constructs uh, that, you know, can also possibly draw cards. The hardest working construct in the gym. I'm not going to drop names, Bromet Courier. Uh, you know, no. We love you, Bromat, uh, if you're listening. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, it, you know, with with um, with the the prowess variants, we haven't really been seeing Boros burn out there, and so uh, I was a little surprised to catch it. And I'm wondering if it is perhaps because of the high prevalence of red black shadow. Uh, turns out the shadow decks like their own life turtle, uh, life turtle, life total, uh, quite low. And so, you know, that puts them a little bit more in burn range. Um, the most played deck in this challenge, or at least in the top 32 of this challenge was the red, black shadow deck. So maybe that lends even a though bit of there's no lava dart idolons or, uh, the last thing you said in this top eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also think that it's interesting to point out that um, the all-access tokens are available right now, and one of the oh, yes. the things that I saw floating around on the internet was, oh, cool, now that these all-access tokens are available, all we're going to see for two weeks is Money Pile. It's going gonna, it's gonna to top the charts, everybody's going to play it, you know, because they have access to it suddenly. Um, and so I guess this dispels that myth. I mean, obviously I should have played it by now, but I, as someone who plays a lot of Uro decks, uh, it's, it's just always been my opinion that uh, the, the, these decks are never... They've never been unbeatable. They are very, very good. They're very, very good. And Uro um, stomps all over like other mid-range decks, things like Jund. It's just very, very difficult for them to beat it. Um, 
but they have tools, and, you know, I've just been killed by burns so many times in games where I resolve an arrow. They don't skullcrack me. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's yeah, an excellent, excellent is, card. It's but... kind of a degen top eight. You've got Dredge, Hammer Time, Oops, Ad Nauseam, and Mill, and then Amulet, Jundan Spirits, which, you know, makes sense. Amulet can probably race these some of the time. Jundan Spirits have Disruption. Honestly, keep these Hammer Time decks coming. All my lists play like three to four main deck engine explosives, and this is great. Yeah, I, I, I do hate to see these kind of degen top eights and the, the man hammer, hammer Time just being so popular. It's, it's just a lot of pressure. I'm not feeling modern too much right now, not going to lie. I'll go into that in the project updates part. But yeah, I mean, you know, I face a lot of... I see like Money Pile once a league. Maybe it is the, the, the token thing. That's the thing. Which is, you know, it's fun. I Initially, I enjoyed facing Money Pile because it's like cream of the crop tier one, like the big, you know, the big Mamba Jamba. Like if these, if my brews, put my brew to the test, this is fun. But then like, you know, I just lose when they just play Planeswalkers and they have no other threats, but you can't kill the Planeswalkers because they get a feel of the dead down. And then you start seize them, you take their promise and they just draw a fetch there up. Uh, our promise they draw a fetch and they sanctuary on top at the end of your turn and they cast it and they get like even more and then you just you know you can't even ee away the tokens i think it, it does it, you know it like if they didn't have field like you know i would be you know it's like there's just times where the board state it's like i'm either pretty evenly matched or i'm slightly ahead or sometimes i'm like pretty far ahead and i'm feeling pretty good and then they just need like field into planeswalker into fetch land and it's like well i cannot get past their blockers now and they have a teferi on the board and i'm probably gonna lose because they're getting like three zombies a turn the the funny thing about all this and and you seeing this over and over is that i haven't seen money pile at all not a single time in my last three leagues possibly more i can only remember back three leagues however i have seen almost all combo in my last three leagues i have played ad nauseum three times i have played and lost to neoform three times i have lost to storm twice and oops all spells at least once uh nice nice format yeah then the neoform is the one that gets me i thought that that deck was gone i thought that it had been replaced yeah i mean it really feels like it should be right i mean belcher and and oops is just it's just what they're doing but so much better so uh. some people just can't drop the gristle daddy yeah i well, guess like the freaking neo shoal brand and uh grist shoal brand i've run into with the gorio's vengeance and everything it, it's just wild it's wild these people are grizzle daddy addicts and uh I don't hold any truck with it. I'm, I'm not, not a fan. I mean, I played jank in leagues. I can't, I can't fault them. Well, yeah, but I it's mean, not about the jank. Your <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's your jank is like neat. These are like very established, mediocre minus decks. You know, so it's, I don't. I, I mean, I don't get it, but Sometimes you know, you just hate the world. You know, like, yeah, you just get really frustrated. Like, it's like I just want to take out my neo. <laughs> like you know, I have neo form on Magic Online. I've definitely like sometimes you just hate the world. You just have some bad variants. It's just like, well, let's take out neo form and like whatever. Like <laughs> I don't even have to feel bad if I lose because like this deck does not just lose it sometimes. And you get that like sweet sweet turn one kill on a multi five, and you're just like, wow, I'm one of those. I'm one of them yeah. now. Yeah, I had a I had at least one game in my most recent league where. Uh, 
I had like Inquisition and Thoughtseize in my opening hand, and this was in, I don't know, maybe game three. And I was like, cool, I got this on lockdown. Like, I'm just going to throw away the two pieces that they need. And, you know, they mulled down to like five, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm on top of the world here. This is going to be great. And they just top decked their way right to success. They somehow got there. Can't Thoughtseize the top of the deck unless no. you're playing Zer's Weirding. No. All right, well, uh, let's leave the meta there for right now and uh, roll on into some project updates. Erwin, um, yeah, why you should you... Oh, me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll go. My, my project updates are pretty quick, but, I mean, you you have, like, a good good brewing story, so I think definitely you should you should talk about that. But I honestly, I didn't play too much Modern over these past two weeks. Uh, I first I tried a league with Grixis Lazav Breach. I actually didn't change anything because I feel like that list is getting pretty solid. And I don't really know what else, what, how much how else I would tinker with it. I wound up going two three. Unfortunately, I beat four color money and I beat Omanaway Taxes, uh, mostly on the back of three engineered explosives main deck and a fourth in the board. I lost a four color money again. I lost a five color Niv. That was just like man, that was brutal. I lost the blue-red prowess, which was just, you know, like, turn three, then turn four. And that's all she wrote. Uh, the losses actually felt pretty discouraging. Versus four-color money, I even had some nuts draws, you know, just like, turn two. Uh, I actually had the crazy draw of turn one, drum. Turn two, Mox Amber. Cast Lazav. Uh, the opponent, I think they just played a tap triumph turn one. Uh, cast Lazav. Uh, Lazav surveils. Hits a Kroxa. Put Kroxa in the yard. Use the amber and the uh, use and the drum to and to make it bolt to turn Lazav into Croaks to make it bolt proof, and they had like a, then they had the path to exile of course and then <sighs> uh, they then they just ran and say it it just went really downhill fast and you know then I kind of drew some blanks but the other thing is that just these kind of the breach as a strategy is pretty weak to force of negation honestly it hits both of your pieces especially if your plan is you know like if you get a grinding station in the yard, then Emery can recast it, or you can just cast Breach and then escape your grinding station. But if it gets exiled with Force of Negation, that's pretty brutal. And, you know, you'd feel bad because they'll go Force of Negation, your thing, then they'll play Ren and Six, pick up a fetch land, and it's just like, it's like, it, what, like playing a different game? Ren and Six is messed up Magic Card. That's for sure. Uh, but, yeah, like, kind of, kind of summarizing this, the best way to explain is that my great draws felt medium compared to their great draws. My great draws could beat their good draws and could beat their normal draws, but when we both got had great draws, uh, you know, I just didn't quite didn't quite get there. I felt pretty weak to those. I mean, some the other thing too is like sometimes I'd win two zero and it'd be two. Like I played a whole bunch, played versus a whole bunch of money piles. Sometimes I will I'll win two zero. Like both games, they feel like I just totally dominate, and it's just okay. You know, I can't lose this matchup. And other, you know, the next time you face money piles, oh two with the complete opposite, where. You know, I just feel I was totally powerless, nothing I could have done. And just that swingy variance, up, you know, just from people playing all these powerful cards. And, you know, if you get your combination of Ren 6, Force of Negation, Teferi, Jace, Hour of Promise, it just, it just gets so far. And uh, so I tried, you know, so that was 2-3, and that made me a little discouraged. Uh, but it also kind of made me a little bit excited because, you know, I got crushed by Niv and then it's like, oh shit, Niv is like a really good deck. They just kill all your stuff and they play a 5-5, five, five, a 6-6 six, six flying for 5 mana and draw 5 cards, which are all like busted planeswalkers. 
and like great removal and say like, okay great uh the other thing is like i really i've really 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 been enjoying the croxalas ob strategy just i know it feels it feels right when i play it. it feels very fun like you know just very threat dense uh and so you know i was like let's make up right? let's make a teferi croxa deck because teferi is also busted uh and you know like i want i love croxa so croxa teferi deck i told this to zach and zach is like play five color niv and then it's like okay so i went to our discord and i posted like i want to do this and then mordekaiser huge shout out to mordekaiser uh the niv miz at grandmaster was like arun just play niv and it's like well this is like two people telling me this so that means it's that means like you know there's some they're likely correct and so i said okay niv you know you don't have to talk me into playing niv niv was like my one of my first true loves in modern and you know i spent a lot of time pioneer like working on niv in modern while like in the trend the hogak trenches this would be a pretty different niv list so i just straight up asked mordekaiser and like yo mord make me a croxa make me a croxa uh the fairy niv list and he delivered and it looks sweet uh so it is uh 22 lands i'm not gonna go over the mana base because a it was terrible and b like, it was actually <laughs> terrible i uh and b just like you know it doesn't make any sense uh, but then it was four thought seas four sprawl as one and so you know i don't blame i don't blame more too much for the mana being terrible because like these color requirements are insane uh but you know i think i probably should have just done the mana base because with dealing with all these four color kin and piles i can actually make pretty good mana bases now uh, but four thought seas four utopia sprawl Four Tide Hollow Scholar, three Coke Croxa, three Ren Six, three Helix, one Voice of Resurgence, two Bone Crusher Giant, three Teferi Fun Raveler, two K Command, two Renegade Rallyer, one Uro, four Bloodbraid Elf, and three Niv. And like, if this isn't like the hottest pile of just like nonsense you've ever seen, I don't know. This just, I saw this and I was like, well, I gotta try that. Um, and so I took it into a league. Uh, actually, it was at. I just for the record, it was a sixty card list. He more did not put Uro in it, but I always need a sixty first card and like why would you not play Uro? Uh so I had an Uro and I took it in the league and I went three two. I beat Jund, Etron, and Four Color Money, and then I lost to Four Color Money and Sultai Uro Titan. The deck felt pretty amazing, honestly. Uh you know, I definitely miss playing this style of deck. Uh honestly playing against Jund, that was that was a huge treat. Just like the whole deck is just like two for ones and three for ones, like Sculler, Renin Six, Voice Resurgence, Teferi, Bone Crusher Giant, Cake Command, Rallyer, Uro, BBE. It was like it was insane. It just it felt so good to just like they were, it was hopeless like the whole time. There was an easiest two that I've had in a while, which was sweet. Uh but like I kinda mentioned the mana base was awful. Uh, I do uh the deck, I mean, the deck took a huge... One of the reasons I kind of stopped playing Niv is when we lost Astrolabe, the deck is still workable, but I mean, Astrolabe was amazing in terms of just letting you stop thinking about what to fetch and just, like, fixing everything and insane. I missed that card. But then we get in Legacy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, the deck felt great. Most of my losses were to the mana base, which is kind of hilarious. It's just, like, did not did not go there. Uh, I, won't even, I, I won't even mention, like, what it is right now. But I do want to say, because I think this actually is like part of iterating and, you know, I think it's just a good lesson. Uh, when building a mana base for like a complicated deck like this, you need to think of, I think the best way I found out is, A, you want to try and think of two shock lands or like maybe even a shock and a triome in which they can cast the vast majority of your spells. And then like try and, you know, you keep that in mind, like if I get an overgrown tomb with the uh, Rogran triome, the Jeskai one, then, you know, that covers all my colors. 
And like then that's something you can always keep in your brain, like A, when you build the mana base, but also when you're playing the game. It's like, okay, I have an overgrown tomb right now, what do I do? Like, okay, like I pretty much always want to fetch the rock and try them at this point. So that's something to keep in mind. So for instance, uh, the ideal curve for this deck is turn one, you want to sprawl, or Utopia sprawl, you want to Thought Seize. Uh, turn two, I want a Skullar or Ren and Six, you know, possibly Teferi if you've got the, uh, if you've got the Sprawl. And then uh, turn three to Fairy, then turn four Bloodbraid Elf. It's like a pretty, you know, pretty solid curve. Uh, so that means you probably want Overgrown Tomb as your first fetch. And then Sacred Foundry as your second fetch will actually enable you to cast Skullar, Kroxa, Ren and Six, uh, and voice. So you will not let you cast Helix actually, but then your third one you want to get something like a Hollowed Fountain or a Steam Vents, and then that actually opens up every single one of your pip color combinations except for Nib, which need all 5-4. So you know, just kind of approaching building a man base like this. So I'm, I'm definitely gonna, you know, uh, probably mess around with this a lot more and go back into the 5 color Nib space because it's very customizable and very fun. Uh, definitely fix the mana base. Uh, yeah, Brian? So I know that this, well, it's probably a bad idea, but in a deck that is aggressively fetching and shocking like this... Shadow? Does it make any sense? I mean, I, no. I guess you probably don't have any problem killing them. You're, you're really one for one until you get to... Yeah, I mean, you, you listen. You've been listening to too much Faithless Brewing. Dan Dan loves to throw Shadow into all his, like, fetch-heavy decks. Like, oh, we're just dying. I've actually tried this in, like, my five-color piles, and unfortunately it does not work for me. But it's an interesting thought, but, you know, like, yeah, I haven't... You also have Lightning Helix, too, which doesn't really play well with Shadow. It's also some of the best yeah, moves in the not. format right now, I think. Yeah, so okay. then, yeah, definitely gonna, you know, go back into the five-color Niv space and mess with this list a bit more. I'm a sucker for Tide Hollow Skuller. You know, I just can't drop the card. So, yeah, it just, I, I like it. It's very fun. Uh, you know, huge hit-outs to Mord. Uh, Mordekaiser for this list, you know, putting me on a good starting point and making me rekindling my love for the five color pile, value piles. Uh, that's very nice. Uh, you know, definitely need to talk to Mord about how to build a five color mana base. You know, maybe his mana base is for his Niv decks too, but he does so well anyway, so who really knows? Ryan, do you want to read Captain's essay real quick? Because I don't yep. think any, I don't think the Modern Horizons creators ever intended it for it to actually be put in a deck. All right, Sisse, Weatherlight Captain, two and a white for a legendary creature, human soldier. Sisse, Weatherlight Captain gets plus one, plus one for each color among other legendary permanents you control. You can pay Wooberg, search your library for a legendary permanent card with converted mana cost less than Sisse's power, put that card onto the battlefield, and then shuffle your library, and it is a 2-2. Two, two. That's actually pretty sick it's just you know just i'm just gonna i need some value like i'm just gonna grab an omnath you know no big deal this actually it's seems like a uncounterable omnath yeah this seems like a pretty awesome include in the future oops all legends deck that i'm sure we are going to work on with some of the new kaldheim tools because there's definitely oh, that some, spice some cool legendary creatures coming out some um mana producers jam it in there with your cannons and your mox ambers uh you got a stew going i mean you know i there's nothing i love more than putting bad cards in my deck to enable my other bad cards like seriously that <laughs> is, i love those kind of decks unfortunately yeah well I, so this is something that I, I i came up with over the past couple of weeks but um it has occurred to me that if faithless brewing is the scientific research lab of brewing 
Uh, at least my own style of brewing is akin to the um, meth lab down the street that, like, you know, once a year or so just explodes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes product comes, makes its way out of the lab, but most of the time it just fails in spectacular fashion. One question I do want to ask is, like, actually both of you, uh, is yeah, I've been working on the on the Grixis Lizov list for a while. A uh, shout out to Alpinko. Uh, he is uh, actually I've seen he, he Twitter user also plays uh, he's been messing with a whole bunch of breach lists and independently came up with a very similar Croxalizov breach list uh, that he hasn't had the courage to take out yet so I do hope he tries it sometime but just seeing that we came to a similar list independently uh, was pretty cool pretty exciting but like the deck you know it feels like it's not quite there although there's I think the worst part about it is that there's flashes of greatness where just you'll have some games where just like feels like kind of like when five color nib was at its prime where you're just playing it some games just feel like a totally different game from then your then your, your opponent like you're you're playing legacy and they're playing standard like sometimes the games just feel that biased and it's just like you're just so far ahead and i get those sometime which is like you know kind of the thing that hurts the most because like it makes me feel like there's something to these lists but just the more i take them into the queues the more i get like worse records like two and threes as opposed to like three twos and, you know, like, I think there's, I've iterated on a whole bunch of spots and, you know, I don't know how much more iterating I can do with the deck uh, with that, that would, you know, like change it into a different deck. So what do each of you do when like you're working on a brew and, you know, you come to a state like this where, you know, you don't really have too much, don't really have many more variables to change, don't want to iterate too much without changing the whole thing. But like, it feels like there's something there, but like the data just doesn't really back it up. I walk away honestly you know this is something that is um in more than just brewing but in life in general you know i have uh done a lot of like acrobatics and um, circus stuff with my wife and one of the things that i noticed is if i took a little vacation or like we went away and you know we weren't training i would come back you know a week or two later and like suddenly things that i was having a really hard time with would click and I think that mm. ideas are very similar. You know, you can like basically just like grind away at something, trying to tweak this thing, that thing, um, but taking some time away and focusing on other things or, you know, playing with different decks, um, playing with different new cards can just kind of open your eyes to things that you hadn't seen or, or sort of reinvigorate you. So I think it's good to put them down and, and revisit them later. Um, and you know, it's also possible that maybe it's just a card shy of being exactly where you need it, and that card hasn't been printed yet. You know, so. Yeah, I, you know, I think you put that very well. Yeah, that's makes. I'm think I was definitely you know leaning towards putting it down, but it's you the way that you put it. You know, I think it was very succinct, and you know, I do. I am optimistic that we might get some better cards for it down the road. You know, might revitalize it, or like you said, you know, maybe just put it down for two weeks come back and you know maybe like the kinnon deck yeah like put it down for two weeks came back to it changed a couple cards and got the lucky trophy all right so i had oof, i had quite a journey these past two weeks so <laughs> when we last left i was going to take a jeskai wurza deck into the queues uh, I will note, I am in the middle of a league. I am, I am currently 1-0 with Jeskai Wurza right now, but I had Woo! to pause the league. Um, 
but where I ended up was so far <laughs> from Jess Guywerza that I don't even know that you could consider it in the same planet. Um, so as I was putting this Jess Guywerza list together, I was thinking about Goblin Engineer packages and interesting interactions there. Um, and I really went down a rabbit hole. Um, you know, Engineer is something I've talked about in the past. I think it's among my favorite cards in Modern and is still relatively untapped as far as brewing with it goes. The ability to tutor specific artifacts to the graveyard, the ability to recur CMC3 or less artifacts, and the ability to sacrifice an artifact on board all have relevant and interesting applications. So after playing with Red Black Shadow recently and discovering that I enjoyed playing with Shadow, I decided to jam Shadow into a Goblin Engineer deck and see if I could make something along those lines work. I figured Engineer could tutor specific disruption pieces, provide some card advantage by welding uh, Icker Wellspring in and out of the yard, or just eat removal, and I would rather the Engineer eat removal than my Death Shadows. The initial list I had had a lot of the pieces of the current red-black shadow shell. Uh, I largely kept the hand disruption package, some of the fatal pushes, bolts, shaved a few of each of those, and the monastery swift spears and scourge of the skyclaves. And instead I added an artifact package with executioner's capsule, Nile's spell bomb, pithing needle, ichor wellspring, and a single servo schematic. Uh, oh, and a single sort of the meek because there's some interesting interactions there. Uh, the idea was that I would disrupt early, land a goblin engineer to tutor for disruption pieces, or start grinding out some card advantage with Icar Wellspring before finally dropping the shadow and smashing face. The deck wasn't awful, but it also wasn't very good. Both halves of the plan worked pretty well, but uh, unless I drew the death shadow, my clock was too slow and it gave opponents plenty of time to find answers. Um, I think that that is one of the things I was underrating about the current red black lists. They are pretty quick to kill. And so when you dirt around and do silly things, you give your opponents time to claw their way out. <laughs> uh, is that so, truth? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Goblin Engineer was actually not like a terrible pairing. Uh, so in chatting with this deck about, uh, with one of our listeners, Odin's, he suggested that I try a card from New Phyrexia called Slagfiend. Slagfiend is a red for a star-star creature construct. It has the text, Slagfiend's power and toughness are each equal to the number of artifact cards in all graveyards. I initially looked at this and thought to put it in the list alongside Death Shadow uh, as another big threat, but I very quickly realized that the 13 artifacts I had in my Shadow list would not cut it to fuel this thing. Um, the chances of having even a moderate number of those in the yard were just way, way too low. So Goblin Engineer, great for pairing with the Slag Fiend because Engineer at the very minimum can send an artifact to the yard to make Slag Fiend a 1-1. And alongside the Engineer, I decided to add some Arcbound Ravagers, uh, which is another newfound interest of mine. I figured that the Ravager eating artifacts gave me copies five through eight of a powerful threat, a lot like the uh, Scourge of the Skyclaves do does in the Red Black Shadow list. Uh, and that I would be able to close out games quickly that way. And it also played really well with Slagfiend because it sends artifacts to the graveyard. Uh, when it consumes them, it gets bigger, the Slagfiend gets bigger. Everybody's happy. 
I rounded out the list with the similar hand disruption removal and artifact disruption package that I had in the earlier shadow list, and the final interesting piece was two copies of Dark Blast. I figured that dredging artifacts to the yard would be a great way to fuel up the Slag Fiend while doubling up as a combat trick or a removal spell. Ultimately, I took this list to a sweet, sweet 0-4 in the leagues, but most of the matches went to <laughs> three games, and it actually felt like there was more there than I had originally anticipated. You know, sometimes I go into these leagues, and I'm not really expecting a whole lot. I don't have high hopes, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> this one this one felt a lot better than I expected. Um, Ravager and Slagfiend both proved to be pretty excellent threats, and the two together can really do some sick stuff, uh, especially if you have multiple Ravagers. I think a lot of people don't know how to play against Ravager or don't realize what Modular does. And so if you have even another mm. artifact creature out, you can get some real blowouts in combat. Um, so I like the hand disruption uh, that was in the deck, but I was feeling still pretty tight on artifacts with only 16. Um, and so I just wasn't consistently getting the Slag Fiend large enough, and I found that the Ravager just wasn't getting quite fueled up enough. Uh, in the best games that I had, I was growing both of them to like 8-8 or 9-9, but in the average game, I would say they were like a 4-4 maybe. So the next iteration, I got rid of all the removal spells, so no push, no bolt. Instead, I picked up Pyrite Spell Bombs. I picked up additional copies of Executioner's Capsule. I added an Engineered Explosives. Um, I also added a copy of Smuggler's Copter as an evasive threat that could loot away spare artifacts and help dig through the deck for answers. I also added a Shadow Spear to help push through some of the damage, because one of the problems I was running into is you could have a huge Arcbound Ravager, but if it doesn't have Trample, it may not be able to get damage through. Turns out, Field of the Dead tokens, pretty good blockers. Sad. So, sad. Yeah. Very sad. Uh... This version had 21 artifacts, and it actually wasn't that difficult to get pretty big Slag Fiends or Ravagers. I ran this version through a league uh, to a much more impressive 0-5 finish. Um, <laughs> I mean, finish I, that. I have a lot of respect for you for being able to like be 0-4 and be like, I'll give it one more try. Like If, if I'm 0-3, I'm normally like, I cannot do this. <laughs> Well, you know, again, the deck felt okay. Like, I had decent plays, so I, I actually streamed this in the, the Faithless Brewing Discord. I had some watchers at various points. It wasn't like the deck was a total dog. It had play to it. I, You know, the games felt winnable. Zach sat in on one. We had pretty sweet combat line to beat um, Blue-White Stoneblade. You know, it, it, I don't know. I I think part of it is just I, I'm not the best player, especially online, and I think that that comes out. You know, I had a ton of misplays. Um, I ran into a bunch of the fast combo decks. I lost to Neoform twice on turn two on the draw. I lost. Yeah, yeah. brutal. Not fair. Uh, Fun police. I you know I had a really interesting games against Storm. You know, they won that one. They earned it. Uh, I lost to Green Black Rock, and I think that I defeated myself in that. I just had horrible misplay after horrible misplay after horrible misplay. 
um, you know, like they played an Ashiok and then I, I dropped a fetch land, went to fetch, went, oh crap, they have an Ashiok out. Oh, I'll cast my goblin engineer, cast my goblin engineer. I was like, why did I just do that? Nice. Uh, so, you know, Ashiok too. Yeah. Bad card. Evil. I've lost Um, to Ashiok so many times. It's wild. And I, I did actually, I timed out against Stoneblade. I think that that was a totally winnable match that I had in the bag. Uh, and Cave Dan was there for my final match against Mono Green Tron, which went to, I, I am not kidding, turn 19. And I, you know, it's, it is what it is. We were both a top deck away from a win, and they got it. So, you oof. know, it happens. Uh, we'll call it a virtual 2-3. Anyway, the deck felt surprisingly good still, and I, 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 I was into it. Slag Fiend turned out to be a much better threat than I thought, and the big reasons why are a lot of people are playing Bobble right now, a lot of people are playing Incidental Artifacts, and so there are a lot of times where you can actually just play Slag Fiend on turn one because it's like a 1-1 or a 2-2 already. You go up against your red-black shadow opponent or your prowess opponent, and they've already cracked a couple of bobbles, and you're off to the races. You didn't even have to do any work for that. Slagfiend Emery when, Brian. Let's go. So I did I, I did take a detour into blue-red. Uh, I never took it into a league because it was so awful. Without the hand disruption, without the, um, you know, the removal spells or some sort of better interaction, I just didn't quite feel it was there. Now, it's possible there's a Grixis version hiding out there. I just didn't quite get to it. Um, so, you know, I think as a final verdict, I, I do think that there is something there, but it still needs to be teased out. Uh, I would like to try and split the list into two separate lists, one focused on speeding up the Ravager by dropping the hand disruption package and maybe some of the silver bullets and just going for cheap um aggressive artifact creatures things like memnite and ornithopter just stuff that the ravager can chew through um and it also gives you a lot more play when it comes to those modular triggers and being able to move things around to push through damage uh and then on the other side i would cut the ravagers from that list in favor of a threat that requires less onboard setup um you know one of the nice things about this list was that dark blast actually being able to dredge the artifacts right into the yard was pretty sweet and i had a couple games where i just like let's spin the dice and i would cast a dark blast on something and just hope to get a couple artifacts in the yard to like pump the the slag fiend enough for the kill and sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't but I think mm-hmm. with a higher density of uh, artifacts and a little bit more dredging or self-mill, you know, you could get some pretty big slag fiends pretty fast. Yeah, Dark Blast is spicy. I like that choice. It was very clever. Yeah, and with the Icker Wellspring, it was actually kind of neat because there were some lines where you could give stuff minus two, minus two, or, or even better, you know, just by... You like sack the Icker Wellspring with the Goblin Engineer and... You know, you, you cast your black your dark blast. You sack the Icar Wellspring. You dredge. You get it back. Um, you know, you cast something else. You dredge again. You get it back. And and so it actually worked out pretty well. And that is nice. That is my story of Jeskai Wurza. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is you know we're all here for the editor brewing, and sometimes you just follow where your brew takes you, and sometimes it's very unexpected. 
Yeah, well, I will report back next week on the status of the Jeskai. Um, you know, with the, the, the 1-0 pause right now, uh, we're going for the 5-0. 5-0 is coming. There we go. You know, let's get second trophy. Yeah. So. And if uh, anyone is interested in Urza in general, uh, I just finished up, and it was posted on fansbrewing.com, uh, an article I wrote all about uh, the history of Urza and the recent resurgence uh there's been a bunch of people making um, sort of different levels mm-hmm. of results with there's a yeah so it's uh it's exciting exciting and it's free too free content mm-hmm. as uh with everything from faithless brewing so far all right well let's take another quick break and when we come back we'll uh start diving into legacy Legacy a little bit this week. While I am going to be learning Legacy, I know that you two have played it a lot more than I have. I have played, I think, approximately two sanctioned Legacy events and uh, a handful of games with a close friend of mine. But other than that, I've not really done a whole lot of Legacy. Anyone who plays Legacy is learning Legacy. Fair. Fair. It is. It is. Now, if you think if you think some of these some of our strange modern decks have like sequencing that's very technical, some of these legacy like you know like ponder, preordain, brainstorm, which one first? Like do 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 da da, like do you what do you do days? Like I watch streamers play legacy and it's like oh I would fire off that days and like they don't fire off the days and it's like okay like I'm probably wrong. Yeah, I, it's it's wild, but that is exactly why i think that it's a it's a good exercise Um, learning a new format is a lot like brewing it forces you to evaluate cards how they interact how the metagame operates it can be incredibly daunting but you can learn a lot about interactions what makes certain cards powerful and uh, those lessons can often translate to other formats even if those formats are less powerful so uh yeah, and I, uh, I mean, one of the things that's fantastic uh, about the format is the complexity. Uh, one of the things that held me back for so, so long is the fact that I'm not likely anytime soon to uh, own most of these cards in, uh, in paper. Uh, but online, they are amazingly affordable, sometimes even yeah. more so uh, than modern, which is, which is awesome, awesome, awesome. And since we still have some time uh, away from paper play, uh, it doesn't feel as... Uh, it just feels like learning another totally accessible, reasonable format. There's no restriction that I that I feel on it, and so it's it's I've been learning. It's been an absolute blast in the last couple of weeks, and uh, I'm excited to delve into it with with you guys and uh, try to get the the brewing going in that format. Because one of the things to me that's so exciting about it is not only the the, the power level, of the cards. Some of the cards are amazingly fun to play with, and then there's all your old friends. Yes, everything that's ever been banned from Modern uh, is basically totally illegal there. So you've got things that uh, a lot of other people love a lot, which is like uh, Green Zenith. But then for me, there's Arkham's Astrolabe, and there's Oko, Thief of Crowns, and Mox Opal. It's just, oh, so, you know, the, all, all of the uh, all the good stuff is there. So. Rashad Oko is the old friend. Oko is the old friend you don't want to come over anymore, but he keeps inviting himself. 
Listen, we all we all remember that time Oko came over and he, you know, turned your toilet into an elk, and it was a it was a terrible situation. Water everywhere. I mean, it was a whole it was a whole thing. But uh, you know, he he also turns your opponent's trinosphere into yeah, an elk. Pretty messed up. Every time I Oko a chalice, it's like, ugh, like this is this is out of the color pie. Feels like. Well, I don't. I don't. I, mean, I think it's in pie. Um, but it it's just ridiculously undercosted, right? Yeah, this is true. I I'm excited. I'm excited because I like Rashad and Port. I like Wasteland. I like fast mana. I don't mind losing on turn one if it means I would I get to witness someone go off in spectacular fashion. And and I say that as somebody who gets frustrated by Neoform, but I know to expect it in Legacy. Like my my expectation mm. walking in is that this is how things are gonna work, and uh, that you know I think that that's one of the the big differences in the formats that maybe isn't talked about as much. You know, people talk about how there's better interaction and there, there's better answers for things, but I think that there's also um, a slight difference in the mindset going into this and going into these. And so some of these like super degenerate things are just more acceptable because you knew from the get go what you were signing up for. Yeah, I, I think that's really well put. And that's uh, you know, probably one of the truest things about Legacy. I'm gonna jump in here a little bit too. I'm pretty excited for this because uh, Legacy was actually the format that I really first played competitively. I started playing sophomore year of high school, which was 2007, which is like wild to think about. And I remember buying underground sea for like $23 and it's just like why why don't I still have that uh, but I continued to play when I went to Syracuse University for undergrad until 2013 and uh, at the time like while I was there I think actually slightly before was when it was like the most active but Syracuse was one of the major legacy hubs of the US at the time probably second uh, behind Central Virginia which was like the actual you know like mecca of legacy at the time uh, you know, I was super active on the source forums, MTG Salvation, play weekly at Carousel Mall, they carpool to the monthly tournaments in Vestal, New York, at the old game store that actually Eli Cassis, uh, the, the Rivals member, he used to run a game store and he had, had a, amazing legacy tournaments every month with huge prize support. And, you know, I think Eli, Eli Cassis is definitely one of the reasons why legacy thrived as much as it did uh, in the upstate New York area. And, you know, I've Legacy is great nostalgia feelings for me, uh, even though the most recent format does not resemble, you know, remotely what it is now. Like, I think most of the Legacy I played, I think, was actually even before Delver of Secrets was printed, which is, like, pretty wild to think about that, you know, like, this is what was, what did Pre-Delver Pre Legacy look like? It was beautiful. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> uh, but the other thing uh, that I want to say is that Legacy's, you know, one of the talking about what benefits can we get out of brewing for legacy is that porting decks either between formats or from one format to another is a really fun exercise you know just in terms of a brewing exercise and it's a good experience and it forces you to you know kind of think harder about things and oftentimes it reveals a lot more about your deck uh, than you would think like for instance the original uh tamara kinnan list that zach and i were doing incredibly well with with astrolabe uh, in modern before they banned astrolabe it's actually a port of a legacy list that i trophied with uh, and we'll post it in the show notes but this was um this list is beautiful so this is a yorian list this is 
I believe this as well, the, before the companion nerfs. This is when things were really broken. Uh, but, you know, so... Well well before the companion era. Yeah, this is so this, this 5.0 is from June 6th, which is kind of wild. And actually, I didn't brew this up. I was theory crafting with Ripple Cheap, who is actually another legacy brewer and also a legacy mono black curses expert. Uh, we were in Legacy Council, who's a legacy streamer's Discord, uh, like throwing ideas around, and he gave me this list uh, where Yorion's the companion, you have four Gilded Goose, four Kinnon, four Emery, three Uro, four Urza, three Oko, four Brainstorm, four Force of Will. Four Chromox, four Lotus Petal, four Mishra's Bobble, four Mox Amber, four Mox Opal, four Alcarm's Astrolabe, four Winter Orb, and just 22 lands uh, with two Tropicals and then a whole bunch of snow covered stuff and fetches. You know, Ripple Cheap is very, very, very cheeky, very clever, very curious, who, just like us, is not afraid to put some questionable card choices. For instance, Chromox does not go in this deck. That was a terrible card. However, Winter Orb and Urza is like kind of amazing. Like end of turn, end of my turn, or end of your turn, tap Winter Orb with Urza, let the mana go away, uh, untap all my lands, and like, you know, while I have all these moxes and stuff. Uh, yeah, it was, so this was, I mean, this list was amazing. It was a lot of fun. I 5 0 the first league I took it. It was one of those like 2 1, 2 1, 2 1, 2 1, 2 1 league. So I definitely had to fight for it, let me tell you. Uh, but, you know, it felt really good and. Yeah, I mean, Kinnan with, if you think, uh, you know, Kinnan with Lotus Petal, Opal, Amber, it was it was pretty wild, just like what this deck was doing. And so, for the longest time, I kind of, you know, just been thinking about it. And then it's like, oh, you know, like, why don't I try porting this to Modern? And then when porting it into Modern, you think about it, like, uh, actually, I had a, <laughs> had a realization, like, I think I was in, like, match four, uh, and I look at my hand, and my hand is, like, Three lands, uh, Astrolabe, uh, Oko, I think Brainstorm, and then uh, Mox Opal. And it's like, you know, most of this hand is modern legal, except for like the banned cards. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, a lot of this is modern legal. And so, okay, like, finally got around to porting it to modern. And, you know, when going into modern, we lose Brainstorm, we lose Force of Will, we lose, at the time, we did lose Oko. Uh, but we got to keep, you know, most, we lose Chromox and Lotus Petal, but we get to keep most other things. Uh, and, you know, we also, we get Renin 6, which is banned in Legacy, so that's kind of, you know, a fun thing. Like, of course I'm going to do that. Uh, and, yeah, so that's, you know, kind of how I started porting it, and then we just did really well with it. So there's definitely, you know, I think I think it'll be very fun, and I think there's a lot to learn. And, you know, if you if you want to test your brewing chops and you've got some spare time, you know, I definitely would recommend just like trying to brew in a different format uh especially one like legacy where because you have access to cards like brainstorm and ponder you know you can get you can you can get away with you can get away with a lot of things you can't get away with in modern because blue cantrips are busted oh man they are so busted i mean um grixism had a wonderful article on uh, was was about uh is it right to play one ofs in modern and uh, it is unbelievably correct to play one ofs in your blue cantrip deck in Legacy uh, for multiple reasons. One is that you can brainstorm away anything that isn't good in both the game situation or even in the game. You just shuffle it back into your deck with a fetch land. Uh, and two, uh, the, between Ponder and, and Brainstorm, you get to look at so many cards um, per game that you can find it with regularity. 
Yeah, I mean, the sequencing is so wild and complex. You gotta try to be dodging opponents' wastelands. You gotta be dodging the taxing effects from certain decks. Um, you have to be very careful with your, your brainstorms. Uh, as I was saying, they are incredibly powerful, but you also need to uh, have fetch lands sitting around so that you can um, uh, correctly shuffle away the things that you that you don't want and search for more answers. So it's pretty wild, and, and basically everything's on the table. Like, you know, you could, you could play with just just about anything. Except for run in six. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> modern, modern's got us uh, got got legacy one up on that one, which is why which is why we still got to play some modern. But uh, definitely, uh, I, I played with Renin Six in Legacy when it was legal for a while, uh, and I did not play with Wasteland, and it was still ludicrous. Um, Renin Six Emblem plus Dak Faden Emblem might be the most fun thing I've ever done in uh, Constructed Magic. It's mighty noble. All right, so. Uh, let's give a little bit of a breakdown here of the pillars of the format in terms of archetypes. And, uh, before we get too deep, uh, Zach, it sounds like you are writing yet another article for faithlessbrewing.com on the pillars of the legacy format. Yeah, it's going to cover, um, some of the information we have here. So if we miss some things here, I might have them there. If we miss some things there, I might have them here. So it's just a more supplemental information. I, I find that when you're trying to learn something and when you're trying to teach someone something that, um, different formats uh, with similar information, but some of it overlaps, some of it's different, is uh, it's just a great way to go about it. Helps you retain and uh, get little nooks and crannies. And tasty, you know, chicken nuggets of information with uh, sweet, sweet, informative, sweet and sour. I'm gonna kind of run through some of the uh, archetype pillars. And when I say archetype pillars, I really mean I went to Goldfish I looked at the top of the metagame, I kind of looked at the various decks, I lumped some together. Um, I am by no means an expert, as I said, so, uh, you know, bear with us here. If I leave your favorite deck out, don't feel bad. Uh, kicking us off, though, is Oko Thief of Crowns in a deck that was called Snoko. Um, so this is currently the top of the legacy metagame, according to Goldfish, and is very similar to the Money Pile in Modern. It features two powerful Simic cards in Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath and Oko Thief of Crowns. The plan seems pretty simple. Play a mid-range plan with Ice Fang Quaddles, Removal Spells, Force of Will, Force of Negation, until you can land an Oko or an Uro and start beating face. Uh, in a similar vein, but a little bit different, you have Blue Soup Control. The Blue Soup Control decks come in a few different flavors. There's Miracles decks that are looking to make use of the Miracle mechanic by stacking the deck with cards like Brainstorm and Ponder uh, to put a Terminus on top for a clean board wipe. Similarly, these lists sometimes run Counterbalance as an easy counter spell. And because so much of the legacy format is at one CMC, it's both easy to set up a counter spell by manipulating the top of the deck, as well as just getting lucky uh, if you don't have that brainstorm in hand or whatnot. Because so much of your deck is also at one CMC, like the opponents. Uh, Arun, you mentioned this next one uh, as 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 coming after your time in legacy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Delver? Oh yeah, definitely. You know I'm. The closest deck that Delver I actually played against while I was, you know, big into Legacy was uh, one of my friends who pioneered this blue-red, just like 
Goblin Guide Days Burn deck actually, which once again, before you had Delver of Secrets, you had to do Goblin Guide and all these other funny shenanigans. Uh, but that deck actually caught on and got huge, and then Delver came out and kind of usurped it. Uh, but uh, unlike Modern, Delver is not just playable, but like Delver's pretty nuts in Legacy. You get Brainstorm, you get Ponder, and you get Preordain, uh, sometimes you get Red Horde Arcanist, you just have so many ways to really stack the top of your deck. Like, how often in Modern have your opponent played Turn 1 Delver and you're just like, it's probably not going to flip, and it doesn't flip. Next turn, it doesn't flip, and next turn, it doesn't flip. And you know, it's feeling great, because like, you paid 1 mana for a 1-1, one, one, and didn't do anything. Uh, but that's, you know, Legacy very different, and you, if you see a Turn 1 Delver, you get very sad, because like, if that doesn't flip turn one, it's 100% of the time going to flip on turn two and probably just like crush you in it with a whole bunch of other things. Uh, there's a couple of different variants of Delver because just the card is just so good and so versatile. Temur is the most popular one, uh, you know, plays Dreadhorde Arcanist. Uh, sometimes Young Pyromancer, sometimes Goyf, sometimes Hooting Mandrills. Uh, you know, just, they, they vary a little bit, but, uh, you know, very, very, very powerful. And Temur Delver is, you know, oftentimes considered. I think, you know, might be pretty akin to calling it the Jund of Legacy, where, you know, like it's, except, like, it's actually good, where Jund is, like, maybe a little good. <laughs> this is, like, actually really good. No, Jund, Jund, Jund is the 52-48 deck, and Delver is the 58, you know, 42. Yeah. Okay, okay. Like, they, they win a very, very reasonable percentage above the, the, the average. Of Delver the is what Jund players in Modern think Jund is in Modern. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's what Jund players aspire yeah, or to or think be. that their Jund list is. If we still have any Jund listeners sure. after this, uh, thank you for sticking with us. Yeah, yeah it, it, it is kind of mean that we keep making Jund the, Jund the butt of the jokes. I don't have any hostility towards Jund. I respect Jund when it beats the crap out of me. No, we're I've just, lost a Jund we're just with we are kinnon We are Kinnon stands. Yeah, and as a Kinnon stan, I love Uro. And Uro, on its own, beats all Until of Jund. Until they annihil Spellbomb it's you. It's not my fault. It's not my fault! I, I'm also gonna, I'm gonna call out uh, the Joe Cheney, if you are listening right now. We love you and your Jund. And uh, then with, and so going back to Delver, <laughs> the, you get, you know, you get your Dazes, Force of Will, Lightning Bolt, just these super, you know, quick, uh, just very cheap interaction. Uh, when if you go for green, uh, you'll go. Sometimes you go for Tarmogoyf. Uh, there's also green lets you go for Sylvan Library and Clothis. Uh, the list, the Delver list that splash green for Clothis. They're more so like mid range actually, like, rather than like the tempo we Delver decks that we're kind of uh, used to. So you know, there's also I think there's straight up blue red version uh, that just you know will burn you out and kill you pretty quickly. So Delver, you know, like modern take notes. Uh, if you want, if you want Delver to be good in modern, we probably need more busted blue cantrips. Yeah, that that would help. That would help. Although I would say um, it's a uh, force of will and days uh, and wasteland. Like these are the things that um, make make the the tempo strategy of Delver and give it uh, a good and give it so much um, so much just general power. I think. Also, the uh, the most successful Delver decks right now are playing uh, multiple Dreadhorde Arcanists and. Um, they're kind of insane um, with with the uh, powerful cantrips of, of Legacy. And Bolt. Yeah, yeah, Bolt and uh, Swords to Plowshare. <laughs> Do you want to mention this other one real quick, Zach, about the Poke Pile? I don't know much about it. 
Yeah, uh, Poke Pile is the uh, eponymously named uh, deck of Pokemoki, who is the second uh, leaderboard trophy leader in, in Legacy right now. And uh, it's basically like a Delverless Team or Delver deck. So it uses uh, Uro, Dreadheart Arcanist, uh, Okos, and um, then like a full play set of Stifles along with the, the Wastelands and etc. So it plays a very heavy mana denial game with a really powerful sort of. Uh, mid-range plan. Cool. Uh, next up we have Hogak. So the 8-8 Trample Avatar was banned in Modern only to find a home in Legacy. Um, although the deck is a lot newer than some of the other mentioned deck lists like Delver or the Control decks, it seems to have stuck at the top of the meta since it first popped on the scene after Modern Horizons. The deck plays many of the same cards that the Modern variant played, including Bridge from Below, Altar of Dementia, and Stitcher Supplier. Much like the Modern version, this looks like it can win either via combat with a board full of 4-3s and 8-8s or by combo milling the opponent out. Uh, and it looks like there are multiple versions of this as well. Um, a Jund with Faithless Looting, uh, or a Blue with Hedron Crab. So doing a little of the self-mill with uh, good old Faithless Looting or the uh, the Crab plan. Yeah, I just want to mention that, like, occasionally I'll watch people stream this deck, and it's it's stupid. If you the modern version was stupid, the legacy version is, like, incredibly stupid. It's not <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie. It looks like something I, I'm probably gonna try. Yeah, just, you, you I, should. You yeah, it is. It is degenerate as hell. It's not. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, next up is one of my personal favorites. So this is actually the deck that I first played the first time I played Legacy, and that is Lands. Um, and Lands is somewhat akin to the Primeval Titan decks of Modern. Uh, it includes a large toolbox of utility lands in its 33 land package, which might I just take a moment to say is like an insane number of lands for Legacy. I was looking at lists that were running, you know, 16. When you have Brainstorm and Ponder, you just do not need quite as many lands as you do in other formats because you, you get to dig so deep with your cantrips. Uh, but this is still running 33 of them. It includes super super sweet lands such as the tabernacle at pendril vale dark depths and thespian stage wasteland bajuka bog blast zone glacial chasm and field of the dead um and you know the, the big things are some of the old lands like maze of if and tabernacle those are things that there are just no analogs to in modern and i think that they really well and dark depths <laughs> Uh, those really kind of make these sing, and I think that's why we haven't had a land strategy in modern that doesn't include Primeval Titan as sort of the, you know, Primeval Titan gets in and, and beats face um, or helps you combo out with Velikit. Uh This is a little bit different because your lands really do serve a lot of the same roles as spells, whereas a lot of the spell lands in modern are just much more watered down. Um, and so to make use of all of these lands and tutor them into the play, the deck utilizes uh, the enchantment exploration, so you get some extra land drops, you got your Elvish Reclaimer, and you got your Uro. So that Uro oh, guy... yeah. Showing up in a lot of places here. Yeah, a lot of Legacy players don't like Uro, which, you know, it's kind of busted, so I can see why, especially in Legacy. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, because all of the other formats seem to adore Uro. You would think that 
He would be the darling of legacy. <laughs> but don't worry, if your opponent casts an Uro, you can always elk it with your Oko. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, next up, we have Cloudpost. And so Cloudpost is kind of like the Tron equivalent, but like way more busted. Um, the current Cloudpost uh, flavor is mono green. Um, and basically looks to just make a boatload of mana like uh, the Tron lands do, but I believe you can make just even more, like insane amounts, 12, 16 mana with your 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 posts, your cloud posts. Oh yeah, cloud post, nutty card. Yeah. Um, Banded so modern, no surprise. Similar to lands, this looks to take advantage of Elvish Reclaimer as a recursive crop rotation. Uh, it also utilizes Golos, and uh, Sylvan's, uh, some play crop rotation uh, in addition to expedition map and look to close out the game with Eye of Ugin and Brutal Haymaker Eldrazi. You should, so I'll, I'm going to take over. I'm going to talk about combo a little bit because uh, combo is the deck, the kind of deck that I really enjoyed playing in Legacy and played for the most time. And, you know, with such a large card pool, it's really no surprise that there's... Pick your flavor of busted combo. Legacy will probably have it for you. You know, like, you can kind of think... So Dark Depths, the Dark Depths uh, combo with Thespian Field and uh, Vampire Hex Mage. You know, what if we just took that and added Lotus Petals and just, like, Elbridge Spirit Guides just went all the way, where all we care about is making a turn 1 or 2 2020 with protection. Uh, which is, you know, like one way, like you can make a more grindy version, that kind of, you know, black green rock with the turbo depth finish, or you can just put in turbo depths and lotus pedal out your stuff. Uh, a lot of fun. There's also storm. Uh, there's really three major variants on storm. I guess I would not really call doomsday at this point storm. Uh, doomsday is kind of like a combo control deck. When I just want to, for the record, probably the deck that I have the most experience playing in Legacy was called doomsday fetchland tendrils and this was the old doomsday list where they went sensei's divining top was actually legal which was like i think actually mystical tutor might have been legal uh, mystical tutor was legal for a little bit but i think they banned that but then we had uh, top but you know top plus uh you know band card really great card but top was perfect for your doomsday piles because it's that free cantrip you need and helps you find doomsday that, that deck was sweet so i love this uh but now they lose top but they have Thassa's Oracle which like turns it into from a deck where you have to know memorize all these crazy doomsday piles to now you just kind of doomsday and pass and then you win the next turn which I think is a little boring but it is what it is and the other storm decks there's uh there's the epic storm which this is from a while ago but it's a burning wish variant uh, that plays you know like a little less grindy a little bit more you know a little quicker and then there's ants ad nauseum tendrils which plays ad nauseum you know, it's a little slower, but a little more grindy. And then there's also Show and Tell, which I think uh, I've heard a lot of complaints about Show and Tell, and it, it, I do hate losing to it because it's just it's like the it's another one of those combo control decks where you Show and Tell with Emrakul or Gristlebrand or Omniscience to just kind of you know just win on the spot. And because your combo is so and you have uh, sneak attack as backup because your combo is so compact. You just load your deck with just force of will and daze and spell pierce and fluster storm and you know like your goal is to drop an emery cool with some good combo backup and then honorable mention to like insanity uh there's a mono red storm deck called ruby storm that uses 
uh, ruby medallion to just like kind of go nuts uh, and make all your stuff cheaper. Oh, and it plays bonus round, which is one red red. When the next time you, for each spell you cast, or what, I don't know, I have to look this up. It's insane. If someone else has it, they can just mention it. Yeah, it's uh, until end of turn, uh, whenever either player plays uh, an instant or sorcery, they get a copy of it. Yep. Uh, until end of turn, whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, that player copies it and may choose new targets for the copy. Nailed it. Yeah, nice, nice. And so you just bonus round, and then you just like cast a second bonus round after a couple more spells, and it, the you know then you have all your whole your fast rituals, and you just get some exponential growth that just gets insane. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's you know pretty janky, but it's a beautiful idea. And props to the genius that did that. It's also World Gorger Dragon stuff that uses World Gorger Dragon and Animate Dead, which actually now with Teferi, uh, the four mana Teferi that can use his abilities, it's flash speed. You know, that's an instant uh, kill combo, essentially. And my personal favorite in the deck I actually have in paper, which is Spanish Inquisition, uh, which, you know, Zach played on stream uh, for me, doing me a favor. And it is a sweet deck. It's the draw four. So you just, like, run a whole bunch of fast mana black it's mono black actually it's black with the bleen with the green splash you get way uh you get bayou land grants uh and phyrexian walker and shield spear which are just like souped up ornithopters you play culling the weak dark ritual cabal ritual and then uh cruel bargain and infernal contract which are functional reprints which are three black black to cast so three three black mana uh draw four cards pay half your life round it down and you just try and chain these draw fours uh, until you hit tendrils or like a LED plus infernal tutor, and then you also get uh, Equa Beyonds, which is a good LED. So that's my favorite deck. I have it in paper, and I still play it in paper. Uh, but you know, if you like degeneracy, this is for you. Yes, yeah, Spanish Inquisition is everything that I thought that the Legacy format and uh, and the Vintage format were. You know, just. Both players, <laughs> both players just grab their hand of seven, throw at each other's face, and be like, "I don't know, did I win? I, I, I tried." That's pretty beautiful, must say. But also, I do. So it's not. It's not the case that that is what everyone's doing, but uh, it does exist. The fun thing I just gotta mention: Spanish Inquisition is not actually a good deck, and I don't think anyone else will ever actually play it. But because I have it in paper, I hand it's you know my first deck and my pet deck. I have to play it. Uh, but yeah, it, it is amazing, and you probably won't play it, uh, so don't worry about it. <laughs> well, probably keyword. Uh, there are a whole boatload of other decks out there, including tribal decks like goblins or elves, uh, and apparently elves is currently one of the best decks in the format. Uh, yeah, elves is is very, very, very high up there on one of the best decks of the format Allosaurus. due to uh, Alisor uh, Shepard. Yep, yep. Yep. Allosaurus is messing up legacy and modern. You know, that's a, a, yep. a thing that we didn't point out at the top, but uh, for those who are unaware, legacy allows you to play the supplemental set cards as well. So all of the commander cards, battle bond, all of these things that are not legal in modern are in fact legal in legacy. And so you have some really goofy interactions and some things that uh, were not really ever intended for one-on-one -on -one magic. Print Savine's Reclamation and Tiny Bones into Modern, you cowards. That would be sweet. Oh, Tiny Bones is so cool. Neat little, neat little duder. So, Legacy also has decks like Infect, Death and Taxes, and I mean the real deal Death and Taxes, Mono Red Prison, Stompy decks of all sorts, 
uh, and Reanimator. And these are just the tip of the iceberg. With such a large card pool, there are a ton of viable decks out there and a ton of viable variants on those decks, even within specific archetypes. Man, there's even a competitive ninjas deck with Yuriko, the Tiger Shadow. And if you've ever faced that deck, it is super frustrating to lose to because what they do is they just ninjutsu their crappy things. Like they actually play Orn, then they play Forge of the Foundries. What is it? it uh... It's a, a retrofitter foundry. Yeah, and it turns uh, constructs or er, uh, servos into uh, thopters, thopters into four four constructs. Yeah, yeah, it turns yeah, exactly. It turns your thopter into a four four. Uh, but essentially what they do is they just kind of poke you with ninjas. They draw an absurd amount of cards because Yuriko and that new Modern Horizons ninja, they say each ninja gains when it deals damage. Ingenious Infiltrator. infiltrator. Uh, they kind of they stack multiplicatively. So if you have Yuriko plus Ingenious Infiltrator, each one will draw you two cards. So you draw four cards. And they play, like I think, like eight forces. And they just counter all your stuff while they beat you for two damage and draw eight cards a turn. And it feels like really, really, really bad. Yeah, you Eureka's trigger um, actually reveals the top card of your library um, when for each ninja and um, uh, deals damage equal to its cost. So they can use um, brainstorm to put uh, force of will on top and clock you for five with that, which is uh, not a small amount of damage. Not a small amount of damage. So those are some of the archetypal pillars of the format, but diving in a little bit more specifically. Um, you know, we can talk about the cards. So although the format is pretty wide in terms of deck diversity, there are a few cards that certainly form the backbone of the format. Blue is among the most powerful colors in Legacy. I think that's pretty much just absolutely indisputable here. And I think many decks start with a playset of Brainstorm, a Ponder, and Force of Will. According to MTG Goldfish, which, uh, you know, we will always add the caveat that Goldfish data is a little wonky, is a little skewed because of how it is accumulated. Um, but that said, 56% of decks are playing Brainstorm, 54% play Force of Will, and 53% play Ponder. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. Those are ban-worthy numbers in any other format, um, except perhaps Vintage. I mean, that is kind of something to mention, too, is that a lot of the time, I think this is one of the appeals of Legacy, is that, you know, like, Legacy, you play Legacy, so you can play with Brainstorms, you can play with these cards. Like, if you were to redo Legacy, you'd probably actually want to ban Brainstorm. And a lot of Legacy players agree with this, because Brainstorm is just an egregious card. It's so good. It's insane. It can be pretty close to a recall if you get that perfect Brainstorm. Uh, and, you know, like, it would be, like like Brian said, 56% of these top-placing decks play Brainstorm. Like, you know, it, this, would be, this would be banned in Modern, but, like, people play Legacy because they like to play Brainstorm. So at this point, it's kind of too late. Uh, but just something to keep in mind that, you know, you play like, like most people, a lot of people play Legacy so that they can play cards like Brainstorm and that they know are, you know, busted as hell. Yeah. And then uh, what I, something I found really interesting, rounding out the top 10 are Surgical Extraction. Uh, that one kind of shocked me, but it, it also makes a weird amount of sense. Getting your Burrow. Wincon's Surgical Extraction doesn't feel great. 
yeah. and especially and legacy, and legacy especially because a lot of these decks are very threat light because you're on four ponder and four brainstorm so that way you can find your threats when you need to so like if you know sometimes like your wind conditions are really uro and oko and if your uro gets surgical i mean you'll probably still win with oko but it's going to be taking a little longer yep yep uh, after Surgical came Force of Negation, the new force on the scene. Uh, I guess it kind of makes sense. You know, if you're expecting to need a Force of Will on turn one, Force of Negation might be able to do the job in a pinch. Uh, Pyroblast, Red Elemental Blast, Sylvan Library, Oko, and Swords to Plowshares rounded out the top ten. And if you'll notice, none of the top 10 most played cards are creatures, although Oko is in there and, you know, he makes creatures. Um, <laughs> as far as the most played creatures go, Uro leads the pack at 23%, followed closely by Plague Engineer, also at 23%, uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist, Icefang Coatl, Collector Oof, Containment Priest, Delver of Secrets, Clothis, meddling mage and newcomer to the scene hull breacher busted newcomer hull breacher yeah, it's weird to hear delver so low on that list i know especially yeah. because delver is one of the higher percentage decks interesting so given these top cards it certainly seems like blue is the best color in the format and when you've got free counter magic in the form of force of will i think that makes a lot of sense um you know we were talking about all these busted combos that you can do and and how you can have cards thrown at you on turn one and possibly lose uh but the 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 rebuttal to the the cards being thrown at you is force of will and so you know i think that um this is what people talk about when they say that, you know, legacy has better interaction or legacy has better answers for things. Yeah. It's, you know, super souped up and, and you might lose on turn one, but, uh, if you play your cards, right, ha ha ha, uh, you can counter whatever your opponent is doing on turn one. And then you end up playing like a normal interactive fun game of magic. Um, and so sometimes you'll hear the term force check deck. And it's basically like, all right, I got this deck. It's a glass cannon. If you got the force of will, I lose. If you don't, I win. Um, and that's just something you're going to run into. And there, there's a beauty of being done with all your rounds in five minutes of the tournament. Let me tell you, feels quite nice. Plenty of time to eat. And just do whatever. I would. The last time I actually played in the sanctioned legacy event, it was at grand prix seattle i want to say 2018 which is like kind of sad maybe it was 2019 i may i think it was 2019 actually which is not like or no it was no okay it must have been 2019 uh it was 2019 and i got to play spanish inquisition and i went three two one uh which was pretty good uh but you know all my my rounds were over in like five ten minutes it felt great you know like i didn't feel so bad for round one i beat sneak and show like they're also trying to be degenerate but the one of the one of the nice things is that all my opponents they were just very friendly like they didn't mind that i was trying to turn one them because like it's legacy and you know you get to do what you want yeah i mean generally speaking the 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 character of legacy is people are much more willing to lose to tiny micro decisions in both their their deck construction and play uh it seems to be so i mean I, I I mean, most of my experience in the last couple of weeks has been playing the mono blue Urza deck, which can effectively end the game on turn one. And most people have been just enthused by the insanity 
rather than salty. Oh yeah, who doesn't love you know every time you every time you wheel and it for both players, it's kind of fun. Unless you got the uh, whole breacher or the narset out. <laughs> uh. And so uh, I guess just as a, a final note on important cards, um, you know, we talked about the blue cards and we talked about some of these other powerful cards that make up the top tens. What we didn't mention were Rashadden Port and Wasteland, which are two of the biggest players in a lot of different decks. Um, the mana denial aspect of Rashadenport is sweet. Uh, it effectively can lock down an opponent who is playing a very mana light game. Uh, and Wasteland punishes people for playing non-basics. Um, it's, it's a better ghost quarter. Wasteland is probably like the number one card that leads to non-games in Legacy. Like it's, on, honestly, I feel like you might, it might be okay to ban it. It's just so crazy powerful. I mean, it is that powerful, but I mean, you just—I don't think you can ban it at this point. It's just been there too long. It's a—it's a staple of the format, but it, it like, does. I don't know if you just have like a double wasteland hand, and they have two lands, and that's all you're yeah. out. Or like it'll be—you know—you you keep a one lander with like volcanic and ponder. Like you do it, you're like, well, there are two cards I don't need, and a basic land. Like I can't keep this. You shuffle your opponent goes turn one wasteland, and that's all you're out. Right, but I mean, strip mine is. You know, uh, in this format, other than the fact that it's banned, and so like, how far down the rung of power level, etc., are you are you going to push this? And Ren and Six is banned, so uh, you know it's not. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, th this is the Wasteland <laughs> format as much as it is yep. the Brainstorm format. Like these these are staple cards of this format. They've just been around too long. They're just a huge part of what what it is to be playing this format. So I, I don't think you should do that. But they are something to something to consider, you know. And and we mentioned uh, the the quote unquote best deck of the format, the Big Bad Wolf uh, Snoko. And that deck, one of the things that makes it so good is it's playing so many basics because they've got astrolabes. I mean, this this is like your Simpsons meme, Zach, where all the germs are trying to be shoved in the door. It's like all these, it's like, oh, but Astrolabe makes Wasteland worse. It's like both those cards are like egregious. Yeah, but if everything's <laughs> broken, then then it's like nothing is. Yeah, I mean that, you know, I mean, yeah, well put. Yeah, people like playing with broken cards. It's fun. It's fun when your cards are powerful. Oh, people love playing with broken cards. You know, sign me up. I wish I could do more busted things in Modern. Creatively, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up our deep dive there. Um, I have no idea where I would even start brewing. So at least for me, in this interim period be before the next episode, I am going to be learning some of these legacy decks. Um, Play a league with Hogak I, first. That would be my recommendation. Play a league with Gak. Go Gak some people. Feel really good about it. See what they're doing, and then see if you want to do something else. If you just want to Gak more people. Yeah, I'm sure I will have a, a tale of uh, weirdness. I mean, I, I know I know what my inclination would be is to to probably just like try and make uh, some weird Urza deck. But I know that there's plenty of weirders of decks out there already. So, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of exploration of existing decks, but I'm sure I'll come back next week or uh, in two weeks with with some weird story that, you know, took me to an 05 and uh, <laughs> got to play Goblin Engineer and Slag Fiend and hey, all sorts you of get, other... you get Goblin Welder now. 
dream big. I know. I am very excited about goblin, that. Goblin and Goblin Welder, let's go. Por que no los dos? Do you do you have any brews that you're you're looking towards? Yeah, uh, definitely. Or... So I want to vis- revisit the blue green Kinnan list again. Uh, you know, that was kind of the list that started everything for me in terms of you know being act- having some success brewing and also just I just love the play patterns of that deck. I definitely want to mess with that a little bit. I think probably the missing one of the missing pieces might just be Wasteland. Like, it's a two-color deck. It plays Astrolabe. It's already light on land. Like, let's just throw Wasteland in there because Wasteland's kind of busted. Uh, the other thing that I'm really interested and curious about is kind of a Port of the Lazav deck that we've, you know, we've been working on for the podcast with Lazav and Kroxa. Uh, Legacy has uh, Phyrexian Dreadnought, which is one mana for 12-12. When it enters the battlefield, sacrifice any number, uh, any number of creatures combined power and toughness. 12 or sacrifice the dreadnought uh but you can you, know, you have stifles so you have the stifle it's kind of I think it goes by the name of stifle knot uh but you know once your dreadnought is in the yard it's a pretty good lazav target one mana for a 12 12 trample and then you know while we're here we may as well add croaks because i'm a sucker and i actually so i came up with a slapdash 80 card yorian version of this list that played emery and you know the mocks and lotus and artifact package uh, I did uh, a Dono deck to Legacy Council to play it because you know I, I'm a huge fan of his stream. Uh, he's a very good player and like he has great insight. He plays a huge variety of decks. Uh, you know, kind of a little little off, uh, you know, little tangent. But I I do recommend uh, that you know if you one of the best ways to support streamers is actually uh, to do Dono to Dono decks and like have them do it. Uh, it's a lot of fun for you and like you get good insight especially you know if you do someone like donoring to aspiring spike who plays like three to five leagues of modern a day five days a week brews his own great decks like he's probably one of the most knowledgeable modern players in existence right now so like any time that he plays a deck he probably has much better insight than like you could gain from playing it just you know kind of food for thought i definitely do highly recommend uh doing dono decks and you know it's a good way to support one of the best ways to support streamers and it's also very fun very interesting for you uh but with that tangent aside uh, he took that list to a 3-2 finish uh it was actually it looked really terrible i mean it was pretty terrible initially uh <laughs> but it turns out that the artifact package was bad and everything else was good uh so i just cut the artifact package and emery you know trying to be too cute uh and then you know with this way so this list that i have just brewed up here real quick is 20 lands uh, with four wasteland and then fetches and uh, some duels and snow covered. So with that we have the four astrolabes, four dreadnought, four stifle, four ponder, four brainstorm because you know this is legacy that's what we do. Three bolt, little cheap removal, four days because you know we've got wasteland, we've got stifle. Like we maybe we can just kind of knock them off balance and just get them. You know we only need like one or two swings to win, and then. I've got four Lazav and four Kroxa. Those numbers are probably incorrect, but you know, you don't know until you try, and we gotta try. And then four Force of Will, one Force of Negation, because, you know, and the one, just why not? Like, five Forces is good, four Forces is good, five is probably better. So I'll start with this list, and I'll probably get crushed and lose. But if I can escape Kroxa, I'll consider it a success. Well, I don't actually have any idea what i'm talking about so take this with like uh, an entire mountain of salt but uh would faithless looting make sense here i don't think so because you don't have any card advantage right but you do actively want 
Kroxa or the Dreadnought in the yard, don't you? Yeah, well, I think you can probably just play them and have them die or just like something else. Zach, how about you? Any uh, Anything you're chasing? Yeah, I'm not, uh, not too sure. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't played yet, a lot of ideas kicking around, so uh, people can always find me playing uh, Magic Online most nights of the week on Twitch and uh, setting those videos up to my YouTube. So, you know, check it out and you can see what I'm up to. Awesome. All right, well, why don't we uh, wrap this one up and close out with some bumps and dumps. Arun, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so I've got a thing about two bumps. Uh, First bump is the cooking. I've been just cooking a lot more than I have been uh, normally recently, and it's been really enjoyable. I got this cookbook for Christmas for my fiance, uh, the food of uh, Land of Plenty, or just like the food of Sichuan, and it's amazing. Just a whole bunch of Sichuan, you know, Chinese-style dishes, uh, super simple recipes, like easy stir-fries. I think I've made seven or eight recipes. They're all very easy, like they turned out very well. I've made multiple several times. Just probably one of the most engaging and delicious and coolest cooks I've had in a while. And, you know, I'm very happy that I've been cooking so much from it. Uh, Also, you know, bumps to science, you know, not only for the vaccine, but also I've got a pretty big experiment tomorrow. It's a little bit of a pilot. I've done this three times already. All three times it failed. But this time I got some new stuff. Maybe it'll work. If it does work, then I can do it again on Thursday and actually, you know, just for a larger experiment. Uh, so, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Uh, but this is hopefully going to be the one step forward. Uh, and then dumps, uh, you know, just domestic terrorism, the whole bullshit that happened on January 6th. Uh, you know, like the pretty much a coup. We we got really lucky that like they were just kind of stupid and like weren't super well planned. but. It was really close to actually like there could have been kidnapping and murder like in the capital. So this is something that we should take really seriously and do not downplay it. And I definitely highly encourage everyone to look into coverage like Washington Post or New York Times. Like there's some good documentaries on Frontline that you need to, you know, I think everyone should see and know firsthand just how close we were and to like, you know, maybe losing Congress members, maybe having the capital held hostage. like. It's much closer than people think, and I do, you know, I highly encourage everyone to stay informed because it's not quite over yet, uh, and, you know, it's just straight up domestic terrorism. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's sad. It, multiple people died, and the majority of those people were people who were a part of the, the mob that were breaking in, uh, and that's still pretty tragic. It's tragic that it came to that. It's tragic that that any of this even transpired the the history of a nation is usually littered with events that are you know successful and uh some that are tragic um it's not usually a divisive issue on which ones are which you know um i think of things like a challenger exploding or um pearl harbor or um 9-11 and each of these is very different but America knows where it's at on those Uh, this was such a different thing because you had you know American insurrectionists really and still we have people who are encouraging and encouraged by what happened Um, they look at it as a road bump on their path to freedom and preserving 
the way the way of life they think it's sh the way it should be. So that's uh, that's really scary. So, um... Yep. Well, there's a lot of a lot of propaganda out there, and that's also tragic. Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, it comes around to this conception that democracy and capitalism are the best systems ever created, and that you know um, that we're we're very good at them. Um, but you know, uh, these are things that maybe should be examined in, in more detail. Um, for decades now, we've had uh, marketing firms and uh, even science occasionally falling to the almighty dollar and being sort of shaped and manipulated by profits and funding. Um, a lot of the time issues that are very important to a nation can get ignored um, because they're not put in the media, because they're not popular, because there's no way for them to be glamorous, because there's no way to make a profit off of it. You know, any of these things. And uh, it's just, uh, there has, we've ended up with like a, a war on facts and uh, a corresponding sort of uh, propping up of opinion. And um, we're seeing the consequences of that uh, in a very, very visceral way. Um, worse than it ever has been. And it's just continually been ratcheting up. So we need to decide soon which which direction we're going to let that go. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take that as a, <laughs> as a, a dump from you, Zach. And I uh, may may I I I'm, this is this is not my my bump, but I will say I hope that this is, if nothing else, for many people. Um, a way to garner some empathy with the world at large. It is no secret that uh, America has had its finger in the politics of many other regions. And so the next time that you see an uprising in another place or you hear of uh, a government being toppled, you know, remember how you were feeling and remember the horror that you may have been watching with and uh you know have well some said. empathy for your fellow human yeah i am going to finish us out here with um a bump to good espresso mm -hmm. my new espresso machine arrived a couple weeks ago and has been just churning out some fantastic espresso uh, if you find yourself in the Santa Cruz area and you need some coffee, I got you. Um, and dumps to the realities of being an adult and needing to do stuff like wake up at a reasonable hour and, you know, go to bed at a reasonable hour and, uh, work and all of that and stuff pay bills. because, and pay bills. Yeah. Uh, along with the, uh, the great espresso has been, um, you know, uh, uh, a drive to play more leagues and, and do fun stuff, uh, stay up late, you know, all of the, the things that I could get away with 10 years ago, 
15 years ago while I was in undergrad, grad school. Uh, <laughs> those things no longer happen, so I have to abstain on the espresso and go to bed at a reasonable hour. Oof. Big oof. Big oof. All right, guys. Well, uh, catch you next time. Yeah, thank you for listening for everyone. We will keep you posted with hopefully some cool brews and hopefully... You know, I would love to get another trophy. It's been a while since I trophied. And let's just hope in the uh, next two weeks we see a, a nice, smooth inauguration and no more affronts to American democracy. Yeah, I would definitely like to come back to a country. Yep, it sounds great. <laughs> definitely, I'd take it. All right, guys, have a good one. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to episode 10 of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg, email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com, or join us on Discord at the link in the episode description of your podcast player or on serumvisions.podbean.com. Cards that have been described as modern legal.